Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of Dress Media. billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary and April Callahan. Dress listeners, welcome to the latest edition of Fashion History Now. Cass, do you want to do the honors with opening us up today? What is on your mind? Yes, yes, yes. I'm super excited, actually, because we're going to start with a little bit of listener mail, Ooh. which is something we've started to incorporate more. <laughs> I like listener mail. So we got a message from Bethany, who wrote to us to say, hey, ladies, I love the podcast. I have a question or maybe a few regarding fast fashion. I am not someone who buys clothes with the intention of only wearing it a few times. I try to focus on fit and quality balanced with life cycle. And she puts in parentheses, she has, she's a toddler boy mom, and I'm right there with you. <laughs> and then she says, where is the line between fast fashion and just fashion clothes? Or is there a real delineation? And then she goes on to talk about how she's frustrated with the quality of clothing that she's found at places like Loft, etc. She says that she's seen the quality of clothing decrease um, over the years. And she talks about for instance, how she has two shirts in the last week that either had a hole in them or the seam is damaged due to bad craftsmanship. And then she says, while basic tees from Old Navy or Gap tend to hold up for years, I have several that carried me from pre-baby all the way through pregnancy and are still in really good condition today, three years later. As my income has changed, I've recently started to focus my buying dollars on assumed better quality items from places like Nordstrom. Is this a good practice or is there really no difference in quality unless you see a sustainability story on an items tag and thinks I'm trying to do better? And April, this is something you and I talk about a lot. What mm-hmm. is fast fashion? So I jumped at the opportunity to share this email. Thank you, Bethany, because this is a really, really good question. And April and I have debated it among ourselves. So do not feel, do not feel, you know, like stupid for not knowing the difference because it is, there is a difference. And and I would like to point out the reason why Cassie and I have debated this. Um, and that is because we do not allow fast fashion brands to advertise on dress, yeah. right? So we have over the years, I don't even know how many tens of thousands of dollars we have walked away from because we just do not want to work with that brand or or endorse, you know, their business practices per se. So that is, that is why Cass and I have debated this on many an occasion. You and I have debated, does this qualify as a fast fashion brand, right? Because yeah, you and I yeah, have exactly. had differences and opinions about, well, this isn't, I don't consider this a fast fashion brand, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not entirely clear. But to be clear, the term, quote unquote, fast fashion is typically reserved for a very specific type of production. So We went from, say, two seasons at the dawn of the 20th century to four fashion seasons, right, by the dawn of the 21st, 
to today, 52 seasons, or in the case of Sheen, 365 seasons a year, right? <laughs> so <laughs> probably times 10 actuality, because and I'm glad you brought Sheen up because I have something very specific to say about them when we're done with this part of the discussion. Yeah. So when we say fast fashion, it is literally fast fashion. Like how fast can you get fashion from the factory into the stores, into buyers' hands? So that is very typical of stores like Forever 21, H&M, who created this new business model, right? Who went from creating four lines a year, which is something I think, at least when I worked at Old Navy in the early 2000s, Old Navy had four seasons a year. That could have changed by now. But to, you know, putting out fashions weekly. And then as I said, the worst perpetuator of this today is Sheen, who puts out new styles every single day. And obviously, this is terrible for our planet. We've talked about this so many times. There's 100 billion garments produced per year. 92 million tons, by the way, end up in landfills. But this is also terrible for humanity. The true cost of this fast, cheap fashion is despicable pay and working conditions for millions of garment workers in places like Bangladesh. And April, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's currently um, strikes going on in Bangladesh. 10,000 plus garment workers have shut down 150 garment factories demanding better working conditions and pay. Good for them. Yes, exactly. 150 out of 3,500 garment factories that are in the country. And the output from those factories accounts for 80% of the country's exports. And yet workers, who are predominantly women, make as little as $75 per month. And the brands which are being called out in this particular instance, so the brands that are producing these factories are not just so-called fast fashion brands like H&M and Zara. They also include brands like Levi's and Gap, which are not technically or a- according to the fast fashion definition, fast fashion because they're producing like four cycles a year, right? So you see what I'm saying, Bethany? There is a hierarchy in terms of how worse can you be? But to me, it's worse or more worse because <laughs> it's all bad. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and and just a little back story here about this whole development of fast fashion. It was something that was actually developed years ago um, when they introduced this this model called quick response. And so instead of producing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the same style of garment and putting them in every single location, what they started doing is producing smaller numbers and then putting those in stores on a more regular basis to gauge interest. And if those models sold, they then would make more of them and and distribute them to all the stores. What what happened is, is you start having new designs come into the stores weekly. And once we move past weekly introduction of new models, we, we, we now have something like Xi'an, which is considered ultra fast fashion. So that, that is new styles being, being introduced Every single day by the thousands. Every day. Thousands. Yeah. They've taken this fast fashion model and turned the volume and the and the pace up. Speed of light fashion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's completely insane. Yeah. And we actually have done an episode or multiple episodes on this, but I think you got into this with Dana Thomas on about yes. her book Fashionopolis. And we've talked mm-hmm. about that also. You talked about that with Aja Barber. So we can link to those two episodes if you want to learn more address listeners. There's also a fantastic documentary that still holds up called The True Cost that I think Mm -hmm. you can download for free. Link to that as well. But I think the question that Bethany has, which is really interesting, is what about those higher end labels being produced at Nordstrom? Just because they're more expensive 
right? They come with a higher price tag. We should not assume that they are ethical and sustainable. (laughs) That is one of the greatest. I I just always assume that (laughs) I just always assume that everything isn't. Yeah. And then I'm pleasantly surprised to find out that it is or I only seek out businesses that I know or brands that I know are operating on the on the ethical model. Yeah. And so in fact, I have it on very good authority that even up at the upper upper echelons of haute couture, where gowns can cost anywhere from $25,000 to $100,000, French haute couture houses outsource their embroidery to India. Guess why? It's less expensive. So we know that India has an incredibly vast pool of highly skilled artisans, but we have to ask, are they being compensated fairly for their work, right? Why is it valued less than, say, that of the Parisian haute couture when India's textile and embroidery history and tradition is just as rich, if not more so, than that of France? So there's lots of really interesting questions, although haute couture embroideries do not make as much money as we think they do either. So they're... 13 euro an hour. Yeah, uh, also on good authority, 13 euro an hour. So, you know, we have these myths. Which is mind-blowing We have these myths about fashion and the hierarchy of fashion, but that's exactly what they are, myths and facades and magical mirrors, right? Illusion. So, Bethany, that is a very long-winded answer to say that the only true way you can feel comfortable purchasing from a brand that is truly committed to sustainability and ethics is you have to do the research yourself. And the first step is just heading to their website, right? Is there any transparency at all? Because places like Everlane literally tell you the factory it's made in, and they tell you how much resources they're using to make it, all the way to where when it actually hits their website, right? Or is this company just greenwashing you? Do they say they're committed to sustainability and ethics, but they have oh my gosh. no evidence? You can you see it right away a lot of times. So a lot of these companies that are greenwashing, they will have posted their platform on sustainability, but it is so vague intentionally so there are no details there are no details about where they're manufacturing you know who the factories are whereas a a lot of these other companies do a fantastic job and they will put a link to the actual factories where they're manufacturing and you can go to those sites and, and check it all out I will say more and more companies are doing it, right? Because Mm -hmm. consumers are demanding this sort of information. Like if you want more than just a vague imported on someone's website, right? You need to write to these companies and say, I love shopping with you, but I need to know more about where you're producing your clothing. Are they making a fair wage? What is it doing to the environment, et cetera? And actually, there's two really great resources before we move on that I wanted to share. And that is that fashionrevolution.org has a wonderful resource that they produce annually. And it's known as the Fashion Transparency Index. And it's, quote, a spotlight on how much information the world's largest fashion brands disclose about their supply chain practices and impacts to fuel your activism and and drive greater accountability. So you can download this index and you can look and see if your your favorite companies are on there and then you can see what they've been rated within this index. And then there's also a really great resource called goodonyou.eco, which we'll link to all of this. They have a searchable database of fashion companies that they have rated for sustainability and ethics. So there are some resources out there to help you, but you can also help yourself by just going directly to the source. Yes, 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 yes. And and I think that, that we've talked about this in a couple 
different ways within the show. But I think that as blockchain technology progresses and becomes more commonplace in the production of products, not just fashion, but all products, I think that this, uh, the mystery of where things are coming from will be eventually as we move into the future, a little more clear, a little more transparent for us all. So blockchain technology will be like a, a digital record that's associated with your item that tells you know, where the fibers came from, who was the textile mill, who, wh- what was the dye made of, how can it be recycled, right? All of this in the future will be in- embedded into um, the clothes that we wear. So not quite there yet, but we will be. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this (laughs) hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Since we were talking about documentaries and since we were talking about Xi'an, I just very briefly want to recommend if any of you have Hulu, there is a short 30-minute documentary called Unboxing Xi'an that everybody needs to watch, especially if you've ever purchased anything from them. Um, It's produced by ABC News and the show Impact. Xi'an, if you are not familiar with it, is considered to be one of the biggest fashion brands in the entire world, um, which is a lot to say considering the fact that it was only founded in 2008. (laughs) And the company itself is intentionally shrouded in quite a bit of mystery. The owner is very reclusive. He uses different names in different legal documents in different 
public-facing scenarios, there are no known public photos of the owner of Xi'an. And when the documentary filmmakers requested, you know, publicity photos of their owner, their founder, none were available, basically. And one of the very interesting things that I learned in this documentary is that most Chinese people, despite the fact that this is probably the largest fashion brand in the entire world, most people in China have never heard of Xi'an. It is not sold there. Unless you're working in one of the 6,000 manufacturing operations that are supplying Xi'an, most Chinese people have never heard of it. Um, and some of you may have seen this kind of hullabaloo that was in the news lately when Xi'an did like this influencer right. trip where they had influencers come out and inspect their factories. That's one factory. One. Yeah. Yeah. Of 6,000. So you cannot tell me that, that there is that level of oversight in terms of what is happening. Actually, in the documentary, most of these kind of contract manufacturers that supply Xi'an refused um, to speak to the filmmakers on NDA clauses, of course. They did get one guy to talk to them, but he would not talk to them about the company itself. But he did kind of break it down how it works. So essentially, they will say, hey, these are the styles that we want manufactured. And then the suppliers, manufacturers kind of bid on who's going to get that job. And so they have a choice of whether they're going to accept that job or not. Also, I want to point out here too that the reason why they are able to put up hundreds and thousands of new styles every single day is that there is not an in-house design team per se at Xi'an. A lot of their content is being knocked off from just straight intellectual property theft um, from other designers, and then they're creating their own versions of it. So Xi'an has been sued so many times by big companies like the likes of Levi's, Ralph Lauren, Doc Martens have all sued them. But also these small independent designers oftentimes don't have the legal teams and the resources, um, you know, to fight for their for their own designs. And this is something that Xi'an counts on. So we do meet some of these independent designers who have actually moved forward and, um, and, and sued Xi'an in the past. But one of them was really interesting is this girl who does this really interesting knitwear or crochet wear, which she all hand crochets herself. And Diet Prada has actually tapped in to them copying her designs and featured it mm -hmm. on the Diet Prada um, Instagram site. Her name is Bailey Prado. And Xi'an has copied uh, more than three dozen of her individual designs and she says she says quote once your work is out there it loses value as an original design why would someone pay for what they can get cheaper well we our whole podcast here to tell you why <laughs> yes 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 and so what they're doing is they're kind of knocking off her silhouettes right, right. and her her design intellectual property but it's not hand crocheted. Obviously. Right? It's it's not like her intensely beautiful, lovely handmade work. So, you know, of course, Xian's like, quote, we take all claims of infringement serious. It is not our intent to infringe upon anyone's valid intellectual property, and it is not our business model to do so. To which, while I was watching the documentary, I yelled, lies. <laughs> That is exactly what your business model is based on in entirety. So take 30 minutes out of your day, learn a little bit, 
you'll never shop from Xi'an again. Well, and also you just saying that Chinese people are not consumers and it's not even sold there. It just brings up a really good point. And that I just wanted to say is that really Americans and our unbridled consumption of clothing, and it's not just clothing, of course, but clothing is one of the biggest problems. We are the worst perpetuators of this business model. And not only do they make billions of clothing predominantly for the United States market, we are then discarding it into or, you know, if we donate it or put it in the landfill. And you know where that goes? It doesn't stay in the US, right? It goes to these landfills that these just like, I don't know, they call them clothing cemeteries or or what do they call them in these countries, right? I think there's one in Haiti. There's definitely some in West Africa. They just go and they get dumped there and they become these basically cities of our leftover clothes. But we don't have to look at it, right? So and and they they count on us, right? They count on especially young people who want to participate in fashion, who who want to wear what Kim Kardashian wore yesterday. They count on that. It's preying on that sensibility, right? And so it's just about becoming more conscious, right? We're not here to guilt anybody who who buys fast fashion. We're just trying to educate you about it. Because even if you got Sheen from like Savers, at least you're buying it secondhand and you're perpetuating like extending the life of that garment. There's just there's better ways. That model that you were just talking about, there's actually a term for it. It's called waste colonialism, right? <laughs> yeah. We are literally colonializing other people's countries with our trash yeah. yep. because we don't want to look at it. Yep. Um, and, a, and, a, and a lot of that is, is discarded fast fashion. So, okay. In happier news, friends, <laughs> I'm going to bring you a segment called News from the Costume Institute. Two things I'm sure a lot of us have seen on Instagram or read the press releases or read it in the news that uh, the Costume Institute has released their new theme of the exhibition, which will be accompanying the upcoming Met Gala this May. And the title of the exhibition is going to be Sleeping Beauties reawakening fashion. So I had heard around the rumor mill for months now that the new exhibition was going to be about the five senses. So I was so confused when I first, when I got the press release from the Costume (laughs) Institute talking about Sleeping Beauties until I read the, (laughs) read the press release fully. So I'm just going to read a couple little bits um, to you guys here. Quote, approximately 250 garments and accessories, which is a massive exhibition. 250. Yes, huge. Um, An accessory spanning four centuries will be on view, visually united by the iconography related to nature, which will serve as a metaphor for the fragility and ephemerality of fashion. Which I'm just going to say, I'm going to need you to explain this all to me in layman's terms, because I can never understand Andrew's exhibitions. And this one is no exception. Okay. Like, I think I understand it, but I don't actually think I understand it. So go on. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) let me tell you more. Uh, The exhibition (laughs) will feature, this is from the press release. The exhibition will feature original research, conservation analysis, and diverse technologies to revive and explore the sensory capacities of masterworks in the museum's collection. Using the natural world as a uniting visual metaphor for the transience of fashion, the show will explore cyclical themes of rebirth and renewal, breathing new life into these storied objects through creative and immersive activations designed to convey the smells, 
sounds, textures, and motions of garments that can no longer directly interact with the body. Like I said. <laughs> and like Andrew is famous for this, right? He does these these th- concepts. They're highly conceptual. It's not like the current exhibition, which is American women designers, right? It's this highly conceptual. I mean, it's beautiful. It's art form, but sometimes it goes over my head. So, okay. So what we're going to see, I think, is some treasures from the Met collection brought back out. And we're going to be able to interact with them in, in ways that are meant to evoke h- how they would have been interacted with by the wearer in the past or the observer of those fashions in the past. So for instance, I know for a fact, and it is in the press release, that smell researcher Cecil Talas is going to be doing some scent work to accompany the exhibition. And I adore her. Um, Some of you may remember that I used to be an art gallerist in the past, and I worked for this crazy art foundation. And I've actually worked with Sissel in the past for um, some of our, she did an entire project with us. So she is one of those people who is able to go out into the world. And she has these little devices where she can capture scent molecules in the air. She takes it back to her lab and can uh, synthesize it artificially. So in the past, she has worked with a lot of brands for different scent related collaborations. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're a bakery or a hotel and you want your business to smell a certain way. That's something that kind of that she was would do. But also she works on the art side of that as well, doing scent based installations in galleries. Very excited. Yeah, I mean, technology wise, it sounds really cool. That whole Pepper's ghost illusion Mm -hmm. I read about, which are garments that are too fragile to be dressed on mannequins will be displayed instead as the titular sleeping beauties. This is from a CNN article I read, but they're going to be appear in coffin like glass displays with microscopes available to observe their deterioration up close. And this illusionary projection technique that they're going to be using is known as Pepper's ghost. And it was often used in theater. And that apparently will show viewers what the fashions looked like in their prime. So I don't know if you know more about that technique. If you want to talk about it, it's super fascinating. No, I don't know much about the technique, but I'm just saying that I think this is going to be a very immersive, interactive Mm -hmm. fashion exhibition incorporating a lot of tech. So I, for one, am very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, I think it sounds um, really cool. Like the, what yeah. I can tell from this Pepper's Ghost is it was something that was created in the 19th century. Yeah. And it's an illusion. Somehow, a, somebody wearing a garment will kind of be projected like uh, almost like a hologram, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is what I'm picturing. Uh, and so they're using that to maybe project the garment into a 3D or 3D like approach. We don't just know. Wait and find out. <laughs> be pleasantly surprised. Also, a very fun new surprise. Cass, have you heard about the new Costume Institute gallery spaces? I have not. Ah, okay. So a few weeks ago, maybe it was like last month in October, it was announced that the gift shop, the very large gift shop that's right in the Great Hall at the Met, Uh is actually being turned into an 11,500 square foot gallery for the Costume Institute. Oh, wow. They are hoping to get this open in 2026. The press release for that says, symbolically, the new gallery will reflect fashion's central role within the museum. 
says Andrew Bolton. Fashion or the dress body is the only form of artistic expression that connects all curatorial departments, and the Great Hall Project will provide more opportunities for cross-departmental collaborations, underscoring the notion that fashion is the connecting thread between the museum collections. And another reason why they're doing this, too, is just because of the blockbuster demand, really, for all of the Costume Institute exhibitions. So this is a little more approachable. It's going to be right there front and center at the museum and uh, Anna Wintour is leading the charge for fundraising for this project and while they're doing this they're also putting in a restaurant on the ground floor um, and a retail space that's somehow or another going to be open to the public even when the museum is closed so that's an aspect of this like pretty significant renovation of that first floor area of the Met. Yeah, and which also just speaks to something, of course, all of our listeners know and we know is that people love fashion and fashion history, right? So the fact that the Met is finally in a year-round way acknowledging that significance is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. They're literally renovating the museum to <laughs> put it at the front and center. So yay. So, so yay for us. Remember when we started doing this 15 years ago and nobody yeah. knew what a fashion historian was? People would give exactly. me the strangest, weirdest <laughs> looks, but, but that has changed. Yes, yes, yes. So very, very excited. I, for one, of course, we will be doing our Met coverage next year, as we always do. Something that was really funny in this uh, CNN article I read is, of course, they were like, but how will celebrities interpret a more abstract, nuanced theme on the Met Gala's red carpet, right? Especially one that focuses on garments that one can no longer wear. And of course, pe- the meme game was strong with this one. Everyone was talking about Kim Kardashian, of course. It's like, well, apparently it doesn't matter if it belongs at a museum. You can still wear it. And then other people were saying, well, who is going to actually come as Sleeping Beauty or as like a Disney character. (laughs) So oh, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be really interesting. I for one would like to see people recreate like designers recreate historic garments and museum collections. That would be really cool. But we'll see. We'll just have to wait and see. Oh, yeah. I, I, I When the uh, news came out, I texted Risa and I was like, girl, get ready for Met Gala bingo this year because it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so many Disney references. How many eye mask illusions are we going to see? You know, yeah. here we go. But I, 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 it will be entertaining. <laughs> yes, as, as it always is. Well, I think that does it for us, April. Do you have anything else to contribute to this week's conversation? I do not, except to say to our listeners, thank you as always so much for tuning in and more Dressed coming your way on Tuesday. If you want to reach out to us in the meantime, Dressed listeners, you can always send us an email at hello at dressedhistory.com. That is, of course, our website, dressedhistory.com, where you can find more information about what we're up to, including our upcoming fashion history tours and classes. And you can also, of course, reach out to us on DM through Instagram at our dressed underscore podcast where we always post reels and images to accompany each week's episode. And the hashtag for this episode, although we don't typically post fashion history news content, but we might. So if you want to look for it, the hashtag will be dressed335. That's hashtag dressed335. Did you know that you can listen to Dressed ad-free for just $3 a month? Click on the link in our show notes or head over to our link tree on Instagram to subscribe to the exclusive content version of the show, which is ad free. 
Also too, please, if you're interested in any of the books or titles or just fashion history books in general, check out our dressed bookshelf. You can head over to bookshop.org slash shop slash dressed, where we have cast, get this, almost 120 of our favorite fashion history books. And of course, books which have also been featured on the show. They are right there on our dressed bookshelf um, for you guys. And that is because so many people are constantly asking us um, for book recommendations. So one-stop shopping, one-stop holiday shopping. And also, I'd just like to point out that when you do purchase from our uh, bookshelf, you are purchasing directly from independent booksellers, not Mr. Bezos. So thank you as always. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of Dress Media. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.